So I got, I got a little of a tear on my right eye. I don't know why it's not on this eye. <laughs> uh, so uh, just a little story. So that, the, the song that we sang before this last song was actually the song that was playing when I was called to be a pastor. And so every time that that song plays, um, I mean, I'm just taken to that moment. And what, what's crazy is uh, my parents had sent me a couple pictures of my cousins going to that very camp that I got called to. And now my cousins that were babies at that time are now going to that camp. And um, I, they took a picture of kind of the, the seats and how they're arranged, and it's exactly the same. And I could point out exactly the place I was when I was called, and that song was playing, and it just filled me. Um, and it's, so, it just, it's good that the Lord just reminds you, you know? The Lord just reminds you sometimes. Um, so today's message, I, I had a lot of fun with it. I'm going to be honest. I have, a f- I have fun with every message. I promise you. Um, but this one, I, I just had some stories to tell that were just like, ooh, these are pretty hard stories. But I'm going to tell them, and I, man, I am just expecting that the Lord is going to do something in you. I don't know why he gave me these stories in specific, but it was exactly the stories that I, stories that I hadn't even thought of in a while just came up out of nowhere. And so, um, are you ready to see what the Lord is going to do? Yeah. So, as an infant, he caused fear in the king. As an adult, those in positions of authority were irritated and hated him. As he left earth, he released a few that would turn the world upside down. As he disappeared from sight hundreds of years earlier, his work continues to be done by his followers today. You can say he was and he is the most dangerous person to walk the face of the earth for the freedom his truth provides contrary to the bondage the world only offers. So who is this? You can guess. It's Jesus. I'm with Jesus. And if you believe in Jesus, you also are with him. And if you are on the fence about Jesus, don't wait until it's too late to be with Jesus. We're in this series called I'm With Him. And um, Jesus is dangerous, and I'm with him. And when you hear the word dangerous, often it goes to gun, (laughs) you know, gun violence, physical violence, any of those things. Someone's playing music, huh? (laughs) I see everyone looking like, where is it coming from? Um, It's okay, I'm not distracted. But if you are, if someone could find out where that music's coming from, that'd be great. (laughs) Um, And uh, Jesus is just, he's dangerous. He's dangerous for this freedom that he provides for us. He's dangerous because he's contrary uh, to the world, everything. And so the purpose of this message is to talk about Jesus' bad habit of being dangerous, whether it was flipping tables or going against the most respected people in his time or providing a restart. Jesus was dangerous because of his messages through truth. And so I had a little fun with this. Growing up, my, my grandpa used to watch CSI. Anyone watch CSI still, maybe? Anyone? It's okay. You're still a believer if you watch CSI. <laughs> you guys are all scared. Um, and so my grandpa used to watch CSI, and uh, you know how they always say, 
this is the case that we're going in. And so what I did is for the beginning of each story that I'm telling about Jesus, I said, this is case number one, showing that he's dangerous. And so now you understand why it's, it says case. And so case number one is Jesus proclaims himself king. And so in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, it says this, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. And tie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Wouldn't that be nice? Like, you just see a beautiful horse, and you're like, the Lord needs it. Let me take it from you. And that's basically what happened. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colts and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cokes on the road, while others cut branches from the tree and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. And if you don't know what Hosanna means, it means pray, save us. Blessed is, one, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Again, Hosanna, pray, help us in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, or maybe in your translation it says in turmoil, and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So I'm going to explain a kind of oh, what's going on here. And so um, I'm going to be honest, there's going to be a lot of talking, which the preaching is. So... Just hold on there. It's all worth it. And so something that you need to know is that Jesus, when he does anything, anything, it's planned for a reason. I mean, from location to words to actions, everything is planned out. And so during this time is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, a week before Passover, one of the most important and significant holidays for the Jewish people. So Jerusalem's population at the time um, was 50,000 people. That was the population at the time. When this feast happened, 150,000 people came in from outside of Jerusalem. And so you can imagine, that's like the church going from 100 people to 500 people over, overnight. Like, you could imagine we'd kind of be all sitting, trying to raise our hands for worship, and we, we probably couldn't move. That's how Jerusalem was at this time. It was squished. There's so many people, and it was so packed that the families that came in often had to camp on the mountains and camp anywhere they could find a place to sleep. And so you can imagine Jerusalem is packed. People are camping on all the mountaintops, anywhere they could sleep. And Jesus does something dangerous in the very capital of the Jewish people. Jesus proclaims himself king. You see, in this time period, there was already a king. Uh, this was King Caesar, right? Caesar, uh, the Roman Empire. 
And at this time, people even considered him to be the king of the world because of just so much of the world that he had overtaken with the Roman Empire. Along with that, the Jewish people had their own um, set of people that were in authority. So the Sanhedrin, and this was a supreme court that had um, all religious, civil, and criminal jurisdiction over the Jewish people. So one, the Romans already had a king, and two, the Jewish already had authority over them, right? And so now you can imagine, this is, Jesus is so awesome in this way. He decides to enter through the main gate of Jerusalem and say that he's king. He doesn't say it, but it's, it's obvious what he's doing, right? And so that would be like me going to the White House door, coming in, saying, hey, Biden, uh, get out of here. I'm president now. Um, and everyone's like, who is this kid? And then I just kind of show up and I take over. That would be like kind of what Jesus is doing, right? I'm, I'm asking for security to get on me, basically, right? And so what's crazy is Jesus enters through the main gate of Jerusalem, and he's on a donkey. And a donkey of, uh, of all things, right? If I was Jesus, I would might have come on a Ferrari, like the horse, you know what I mean? Um, I, I would think, wait, that's a horse, right? I think it is. Um, no, is it? Mustang. <laughs> Thank you. Ferrari. That would be a cool name. Uh, don't take that trademark from me. Um, and, so <laughs> and so you can imagine Jesus is coming on a donkey out of all things, right? Well, guess who else did this? It was King David and King Solomon. They came on a donkey through the main gate of Jerusalem when they were proclaimed king. And so you can imagine when Jesus is going through the main gate of Jerusalem on a donkey, the Jewish people know what's going on, right? To us, us Westerners, maybe we think about that and we're like, oh, Jesus just kind of chose what was there, you know. But he chose it for a specific reason because it was what King David came on and it was what King Solomon came on. And so he's saying, I'm the king of the Jewish people and I'm here to take my place, basically, right? And um, so you can imagine Jesus is proclaiming himself king in the midst of his adversaries, right? The people that are coming against him, he's basically saying, hey, I'm here, I'm king now. In the middle of everyone, people are on the mountaintops, people are crowded, it's a crowded place because Passover is the week that's to come, and Jesus proclaims himself king in the middle of everything. And so... What's also interesting, right? Like I said, Jesus plans everything out, everything. And so what's Passover? Well, growing up, I actually celebrated it, um, but then I found out I was Palestinian <laughs> eventually, so I don't know what to do about that. Um, and so I grew up celebrating Passover, and I remember that there was this part where you actually dip, you put your finger in salt water and you put it on your tongue, and it represents the tears of the Jewish people escaping the Israelites, Right? And so what Passover was, it was um, the Israelites escaping Egypt, right? The story of Moses, that's what Passover is. That's what they're celebrating. They escaped bondage, right? And so you can imagine Jesus comes the week before Passover uh, when the Israelites escaped bondage. And now Jesus shows up a week before to, um, in the spiritual realm, proclaim that he was getting rid of the bondage of the Roman Empire on the Jewish people. Jesus did it for a reason, right? 
So Jesus came the week before Passover to declare that he was going to free his people. And what they were thinking, right? So Hosanna, what does it mean? Pray, save us. They were thinking that Jewish was, uh, that Jewish, that Jesus was going to come and that he was going to declare war on the Roman Empire and just kind of slay everyone and that they would be free. And so what they want, what the Jewish people wanted was bloodshed. But what Jesus wanted was his own bloodshed, right? <laughs> Sorry. It's just, it's awesome, right? It's just awesome how Jesus does that. And so he, com- he comes and he declares that he's king. He does something dangerous, dangerous. And you can say that this is kind of the beginning of um, Jesus ending up at his crucifixion, right? Because now all eyes are on him. Up to this point, Jesus was very quiet about being the Messiah. Uh, usually when people wanted to kind of say that out loud, he was like, shh, don't, don't tell anyone, right? But then Jesus puts it all out there. He comes in through the main gate. He comes on a donkey. People are, are cutting the trees to put palm branches to make a way from him. He's not, he's not hiding anymore, right? And so Jesus didn't hurt one person during this time, right? Yet we can say he's dangerous. Why? Jesus was dangerous because he knew his place of authority was from heaven and not from earth. That's why he was dangerous. Why could he go to the places where he wasn't supposed to go? He had authority from heaven. Why was he talking to the woman at the well when people said that you weren't supposed to do that because they were unclean? Why? Because he had authority from heaven, right? And so I was writing this point, and I was trying to remember a story. I was like, what can I possibly (laughs) connect to the story? Like, how can I say that we have authority in heaven as well? And this memory came in my mind. My dad um, would often go to the Hopi Reservation with this pastor named Pastor Jack. And it was a yearly thing. And to go to Hopi Reservation, you have to be invited. You can't just go. You can't just show up. You have to be invited. And so my dad uh, would travel with Pastor Jack to um, Hopi Reservation, which is in Arizona, anyone know? Arizona, I think. And so what they would do is that they would always pass by this shop that was a new age shop where they sold basically witchcraft, right? And so what Pastor Jack did before going with my dad is he would, every time he would pass to go Hopi Reservation, uh, Pastor Jack, <laughs> in, in secret mode, he would go in there and he'd be like, Jesus, I pray for this place. I pray, Lord, that you take down this place, Lord, and I pray for the man that's in charge of this place. I pray that you take... Like, he was praying in, in secret, going into this witchcraft store every single time he would pass by. And every time he would come, uh, the main guy there was not there until this time when my dad was there. And so what happens is people pay this guy. He's, he's considered a medium, Right? People pay this guy $200 for 10 minutes, 10 minutes with this guy to perform black magic. And uh, you can imagine my dad and Pastor Jack are on his turf now, right? They're in his store. They're in this place where he has performed this witchcraft, right? Sorry, this is really deep things. You're probably like, what are you talking about? No, this is real stuff. And so they meet with this guy, right? They go to his shop. And uh, Pastor Jack and my dad 
actually pay, not for him to tell their future, but so that they can have the time to talk about Jesus to him. And so now you can imagine there's this big round table. My dad and Pastor Pastor Jack are on one side, and this man named, um, let me see here, Victor, this man named Victor was on the other side, right? It was like this battle of, it's like Lord of the Rings. Like there was this battle of good and evil, and they're just on, on the opposite sides, right? And so Victor tries to read my dad. He, he looks straight into his eyes. My dad didn't ask for him to read him, but he is just staring in my dad's eyes and just has this, bl- this blank and dark look in his face. And he's just staring. For 15 minutes straight, he's staring in my dad's eyes. And my, you can imagine my dad is like, what, what are you looking for, <laughs> you know? And Victor could not get a read on my dad, right? But guess what? The Lord gave my dad a read on him. And so the Holy Spirit begins to talk to my dad. And my dad begins to talk to Victor. And he says that he gets this vision where Victor is... Um, He's younger, and he's in overalls and boots, and he's holding this old man's hand into a room, and the room closes. And uh, what it was hinting at was that Victor was sexually abused when he was younger. And so when my dad had said that, that vision, Victor said that was the moment. He didn't say anything else. He just said that was the moment. And so he's trying to read him. He can't read him. My dad says this word, and they end it with them praying for Victor right? He's a witch. He's essentially a witch, right? Authority from heaven is what they're, they're having authority in, right? They're saying this place will not stand, right? This place will not lie, will not manipulate people. They have this authority from heaven, and that's not the end of it, right? That's not the good part. Now, uh, Victor was trying to read them. They end with the, this prayer over Victor and um, so every year now, my, uh, Pastor Zach, uh, Pastor Zach is my mentor. Sorry, I keep saying Pastor Zach. Pastor Jack and my dad, every single time they would pass by there, they would stop and they would pray for Victor, the, the witch. And so um, now at this point, Victor wasn't even charging them. He was essentially expecting that they would come to pray for him, right? And so now you could see that he is just gradually... Victor is gradually transforming. He's gradually seeing, whoa, like these guys, he think, Victor thinks he has the power, but the Lord has more power, right? He has more authority than any of those spiritual things happening. And guess what happens? This might make me cry. Uh, I always cry, right? Um, Victor is on his deathbed, and he calls Pastor Jack, and he says, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, <laughs> You see what happens when, when you act on the authority of heaven. You see? When you, walk with, when you walk with the Lord, things happen. You see, I think people are afraid to walk in the authority they have from heaven. We have nothing to fear. We're, we're fighting against the f- flesh and the principalities of evil, but they will not overtake us. Why? Because we have authority in heaven. Jesus, when he was walking through that main gate and proclaiming himself king, he was saying, the world will say that I'm not king, but in heaven I am the king. 
and I will proclaim, and I will take my people out of bondage. The Lord wants you to act in authority from heaven, just as he did. He wants you to be dangerous and act in this authority. Case number two is, is a one you might remember. Jesus flips tables. <laughs> and I'm not going to show you because that would be bad. But Jesus flips tables. And this is right after Jesus had made this grand entrance, right? So people are hating on Jesus. All eyes are on Jesus. And what happens? He decides to go crazy just a little bit. He decides to get a little angry, and he starts flipping tables, right? And so now people want him dead already. Now they really want him dead, right? And so in Matthew 21, 12 through 17, it, it says this, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna, right? Pray, save us to the son of David. They were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. And Jesus has, Jesus has a little smart talk, right? And he says, yes, replied Jesus. Have you, ever, have you never not read that? And he says, from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city of Bethany where he spent the night. And so the priests are rattled, right? He just flipped the tables. People are shouting, but instead of shouting in fear, they're shouting praises <laughs> to Jesus, right? And um, what's interesting is that the Jesus is, is being a little of a smart aleck. He's saying, yeah, have you not read? This is a Pharisee, right? He spent all, what Pharisees do is they spend their whole entire life learning the Bible. Front and back. Old Testament, right? New Testament's not out yet. It's soon coming, right? Soon to release. <laughs> um, and so he, he is just going through the motions, and he, he tells that to this guy, and of course, this guy is probably even worse, even madder, the priest star. They want him even more dead. And so Jesus decides to get mad after he just made this grand entrance. But Jesus didn't get mad in any place, he, in, any, in just any place. He, he gets mad right in the center of the Jewish people's life and culture, the temple, which would be the equivalent of our White House, and he flips tables. We are told in the Gospel of John that Jesus, in order for people to really know how serious he was, he had a whip so that he could hit all the change off and, and really cause a stir. And the interesting thing, though, is that who stayed nearby, right? All the money changers, they, they are scurrying. They're probably trying to pick up their coins. They're running away. But who was nearby? The blind, the lame, and the children stayed by. Now, remember, there are 155,000 people from out of town for the Feast of Eleven Bread. 
And just like today, right, I just went to Jerusalem. I had to exchange my money, and there's an exchange rate, right? Well, back then, there was also an exchange rate. And so when these foreigners came for Passover, what did they decide to do? Well, the people that were in charge of selling the, the animals for sacrifices, they were like, you know what? We can make a better profit if we moved all the animals within the temple, right? And we sold there. We can make more of a profit. And so Jesus decides to flip the tables of these money changers because what they're doing is they're taking profit in the house of the Lord. It's not their profit to take, right? Now, this is something that's really interesting, right? So Jesus said that this was supposed to be a place that's called a house of prayer, dedicated to the Lord. And now they had moved the, the money changers and the people selling animals for sacrifice within the temple walls, which was not what the Lord told them to do. And so I think I have a picture. Yes, I have a picture. So this is a representation of how it looked, right? And so this red building over here, you guys could probably see over there, but this red building right here is where they would be selling these animals for sacrifice, right? And so as you can see, it's within the temple. Well, before, it wasn't uncommon that these people were selling animals for animal sacrifices. What Jesus had a problem with is that they had moved it in front of the, in the temple, right? And so you can imagine Jesus is over here causing a stir, right? And... Um, this is where the sacrifices would be, and that is where, um, I'm, I'm a shorty, <laughs> and so this, that big place right there um, is where the Holy of Holies would be. Only few could enter within that room, okay? Um, and so what's interesting is when Jesus flips tables, it says that he decides to move a specific animal um, out of anything that was there. So they're selling oxes, they're selling whatever they could sacrifice, but he, he went straight for this one animal, right? And so it's this, this little detail, this really little detail. And so if you were a poor Israelite and you couldn't afford a lamb, guess what you could afford? A dove. You could afford a dove. And so what the dove was to the Jewish people, it, it was the poor man's way to still sacrifice to the Lord, right? And what the money changers were doing is they were taking advantage the, of the poor and they were selling these doves to them at a, a, a massive price, right? And Jesus decides to let the doves free first. Why? In the act of defiance, saying, you will not take advantage of the poor. So he, he goes after the doves because he's saying, you know, the Lord... Uh, the Lord says that you will not do this in his place, right? I stand for the poor, right? And so Jesus is showing that he loves these people. He loves the poor. He loves the weak. He loves the meek. And what's interesting is Jesus quotes two things in this scripture. He quotes Isaiah, who said that the temple was to the was to be the meeting place of heaven and earth, and that Israel would become a light unto the nations. And he quotes Jeremiah. He quotes Jeremiah 7, 1 through 11. And I won't read it just because for the sake of the preaching, um, it just didn't really fit, but I'll give you a little summary. Um, it's a warning to the Israelites that if they did not turn from their wicked ways, 
that the temple would turn into a den of thieves. And what does Jesus call it when he's flipping tables? A den of thieves. And so hundreds of years before, Jeremiah was giving a warning from the Lord that if they didn't turn their ways, that, they would not that the Israelites would not become a light unto the nations. And hundreds of years later, Jesus shows up, and the Israelites are still doing their wicked ways. And so why is Jesus dangerous when he's flipping these tables? It's not because he's hurting anyone, right? It's not because of that. Jesus is dangerous because he fights for the ways of the Lord. He fights for the oppressed. And he fights for the authority of the word of God. When the Lord says to do something in a certain way, what is Jesus saying? He, that the Lord means it when he says it. When he says that there's a way to worship and honor him, it, he means it. When he says that he will fight for the oppressed, he means it. And when the Lord says something in the Bible, his word, Jesus is saying, the Lord means it. If you do not turn from your ways, you will not be a light unto the nations, Israelites. And so, what can we do as believers today? We fight for the ways of the Lord. We fight for the press. We fight for the absolute truth. Not your own truth. The absolute truth that is only found within his word. And so I have <laughs> this little funny experience this week. Um, I'm not going to name drop anyone. Um, but I was prayer walking on the south side, and I was just up the sidewalk, and I was um, confronted. <laughs> I was confronted that I was in the wrong neighborhood to be recording, and I was cussed at. I was called names, and this guy essentially said that he felt threatened that I was recording in the south side, in his hood, in his place, just up the street. I was a minute away. I was a minute away. It was so hot. So I was ready to get, get to the church. And this, so what's happening is I saw this guy get out of the gate, and he goes up the street. He doesn't have anything on his face. But then I'm walking to the church, and I see that now he puts his bandana on his face. I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> this guy is going to try to say something to me or do something to me. And so I'm walking, and he's on the other side, and I hear him say something, but I don't know if he's talking to me, so I kind of ignore him. And so I'm just kind of sticking to myself walking, and while he gets in my face and he says all these things, and he's like, turn off the phone, I feel threatened, F you, N-word, all these things. And... <laughs> I was on live stream. He thinks I'm recording. I'm on live stream. So everyone that, that joined me for the prayer time heard all that, right? And so I'm like, uh, I, I told him, I'm, I'm praying. I'm from the church over there. And he's like essentially saying, I don't care. I feel threatened. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'll turn it off. I'll turn it off, all right? And he's like, all right. And then he walks off. That's the last time I saw him. And... Um, I didn't turn off the live stream. <laughs> and I decided to keep walking down the street. And I said, Lord, I pray for that man that came against me. I know, Lord, that when we're on the devil's turf, he gets kind of mad. But I know, Lord, that you protected me. So I pray, Father, that if that man doesn't know you, that he'll come to know you. And I came into the church, 
and I said, hey, everyone, we had a moment, uh, but when we're on the devil's turf, he doesn't like it, and that's okay. Well, I honestly, I, w- I wasn't fearful, and in, I mean, my heart was pumping because I didn't know what was going to happen, but afterwards, I was like, oh, I just got persecuted for doing the thing of the Lord. I was like, yes, <laughs> you know, in Billings, finally, I got persecuted, <laughs> And uh, why, why do I say this? Um, it's because we have to fight for the ways of the Lord. If this man tells me that I can't pray on the street, what am I going to do? I'm going to continue to pray on the street. Will I go on this street? Probably not. <laughs> I ha- there's wisdom, right? There's still wisdom that I have to have. But I will not stop. Why? Because the Lord caused me to not fear. The, the Lord calls me and says that I will face opposition. And so what I take that as is a sign that I'm doing something right. In Matthew eleven twelve, 12, it says something really interesting. And I was practicing my message yesterday, and I honestly just got this scripture out of nowhere. And it says, Matthew eleven twelve. 12, Jesus says this, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, this might sound a little off-putting, but what Jesus was describing was that the people of God were so eager for the kingdom of God to come and for the Lord to move that it was as though they were violently doing everything in their will and their power to see the kingdom of God move. You see, I don't know about you, but I don't want to see the South Side taken by violence. I want to see the South Side taken by violent Christians who are eager, who are eager to see the presence of God in the South Side. Right? I'm not saying show up with the gun and say, hey, follow the Lord or else. No, don't do that. But I'm saying be eager. What the Lord is saying was these people, these people of God were so passionate in what they were doing, but it was, it was like they were, they were just violent. Like they were, I don't know how to describe it, but it was like as though they were doing everything they possibly could to see the kingdom of God come, right? And so when that, when that opposition came against me, I have two choices. I either retreat in fear or I push harder against the enemy. And this is the choice that you have. When you are faced with opposition, will you, people of God, will you retreat in fear or will you push against the enemy harder? Right? When you're going towards the way, uh, what the Lord is calling you to do, it's almost like a wind tunnel. There's a force pushing against you when you're trying to get to that goal. The enemy is pushing against you and you have to push harder. Right? The Lord doesn't call us to fear. And I'm not saying don't be wise. I'm saying we need more Christians on the streets. One of the prayers that I always pray on the prayer walk is, Lord, let me see more pastors on the south side praying. And maybe there is, but where, where are they? Show me, Lord, where are they? We need people that are willing to represent the authority of God physically walking the streets, not just passively sitting on seats. Wow, that rhymed. <laughs> right? Case number three is the most dangerous of all. The most dangerous thing that Jesus could possibly do. He offers you a restart. 
He offers you to be born again. In 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, it says, From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we are once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us from himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, now not counting people's sin against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is Paul talking and explaining about the Corinthian church, about what they have in Christ. And what's awesome is we also share in these same things that the Corinthian church had as well. We have the ability to become something new, a new creation, and have the old things be past us. I'm not talking about just the little things in the past. I'm talking about the big things too. The addictions, the fear, the mistakes that you did that hurts yourself or someone. Jesus says that you have a restart button. And so why is Jesus so dangerous? Because someone like me who had addiction to porn and, and masturbation can now be having a child of my own. It's only the Lord. At one point, my, my dad describes how he literally ripped the Bible, every single page before Jesus, he ripped every single page of the Bible and turned it into a blunt and smoked it. And now my father is preaching the good news of Christ. Some of you in here had a past life. You're like, that was old me, right? Well, how did the new me come? It was only through Christ. If you're here today and you're looking for a restart, I'm telling you, Jesus is dangerous because he offers you a restart. He says that the old is in the past and the new is here now, but you need to want it. You need to ask for it. You need to invite Jesus into your life, right? How can someone go, go from old to new, clean, renewed, and new? How can we become that? Only through Jesus. Only through Jesus. So point number three is this. Jesus is dangerous because he offers a restart. In conclusion, Jesus is dangerous because he knew his place of authority was from heaven he fights on behalf of the Lord, on behalf of others, and one of the most dangerous things that he can possibly do is he offers you a restart in becoming something new when the world m much rather have you be stuck in your old ways. If there's one thing that I want you to remember today out of this whole message, right, I'm, I'm 
starting to do this because I know people forget. I forget sometimes. I'm like, what did I preach last week? I don't know, right? I know that you'll forget. It's okay. Like I said before, 95% of people forget the message within the first few hours of me preaching it. That's really sad for me, but if I can have one person remember something, that's a win, right? And so there's this one thing that I want you to remember out of everything. Jesus is dangerous. Be careful. He might just change your life. Just remember that. And so let's pray. Lord, we pray, Father.